L.L. Bean has partnered with the National Park Foundation to help you find your happy place. And with more than 400 national parks, there's a good chance you'll find one close to home. Discover your perfect day in a park at findyourpark.com. Making a difference where we go. Hello, Kid Quad Cities. Says hello. It's amazing. Hello, Iowa. <laughs> hello, Illinois. <laughs> TV6 cares for you. <laughs> Please tell me you are recording. <laughs> this week, Utah's Mighty Five, a Sea America preview and how restaurants are chosen for those blue highway exit signs. This is RV Miles. (laughs) That, that will always be used as evidence for why I married you. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Um, how many people do you know willing to sing the uh, QC jingle? <laughs> Literally, without being prompted. I didn't even have to, like... I didn't have to encourage you to do that. You just were so filled with... <laughs> Hello, Army Miles! <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh. <clears throat> Ooh. <laughs> that, that riff towards Illinois, like they totally are like, Iowa, you suck. <laughs> Illinois. Welcome to episode 127 of RV Miles. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby. And we are two full-time travelers who, along with our boys, Jack, Ethan, and Henry, crisscross North America on one epic road trip. Each week, we talk all things RV and outdoors, from travel destinations to gear, industry news, our national parks, and a whole lot more. When you go back and listen to that intro I just did, I was really enthusiastic about road trip. Like when you go back to listen to that, I'm like road trip. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I was doing there. Well, we'll, we'll leave it in because sure. road trips are well, road trips are good. We're just doing it live. You never know how you're going <laughs> to feel when you get into these words. This episode has some has some interesting road trip information. So I think that that is appropriate to emphasize. I, I was setting everybody up. I, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I really like to emphasize syllables. So we are coming to you this week from the Quad Cities, my hometown. We are back here for a very short stint while I uh, while we all actually see some doctors. Um, it's doctor time. And uh, and then we are preparing to hit the road again. It's amazing how many things we need to do on the trailer before we can actually get back on the road. It's, it's almost not like a, we did anything to it when we got out of it. It's no. not like anything needs to be done to it. I mean, we have just like a few little maintenance things on the inside that a few little things that have kind of gone awry that we want to repair. But it's really more about the fact that there's more coming into it than we have space for post holidays. Yes. And we got to remove something. And we from have it. to, yes. And yes. I don't really quite know what that removal is going to be, but I just need like a solid day or two in there just purging. I'll tell you what I am excited about. What just arrived in the mail is our new bike rack for the trailer. I'm so glad we have this thing, not because I want it, but because I can't have this conversation with you for like another year. You've been talking about this bike rack for so long. Well, here's the deal. That sounds so snotty of me. I don't mean to sound snotty, but like this is just constant. It's like the bus all over again. I was like, well, you just buy this thing already. Trailers and RVs in general usually have pretty terrible bumpers on the back. Uh, meaning that they don't support a lot of weight and they do make bike racks that attach to your, your bumper on the back of your trailer. But a, I'm not super comfortable with that because I've seen so many people have issues where bouncing down the road that has just ripped their bumper off. Could you imagine bouncing down the road and watching Henry's little Spider-Man oh. bike just go, <laughs> the you, webs you pull come up out. to a stoplight and it rolls past you. <laughs> 
<laughs> the webs engage. <laughs> he presses a button in their little webs that come down on his little Spider-Man bike. Just and, rolls on right <laughs> past us. And we're like, well, there goes Henry's bike. But our, our trailer has a fold down cargo rack in the back. And I have been storing the, our kids' bikes on top of that. But that required me to install little things to uh, to attach them to. And it required a lot of Jason's colorful language alone yes. trying to install these little bike holders, too. It was and, and what it's not his finest moment. <laughs> and what it's done is kept us from f- being able to fold up that cargo rack if we are in a shorter campsite. Which was one of the appeals right. of this particular trailer because we had that extra storage back there, but then we also knew it could come up and we could get into a shorter space if we needed because, as you all know, we are really big fans of trying to defy what campgrounds say <laughs> is the limit in a camp space, and we say, no, hold our beer. We got this. So that rack makes us a whole two and a half feet longer, and if we can take stuff off it and fold it up, we can fit into some smaller sites. So we have bought a, a rack that is called, it's called the bike bunk and it goes on the front of the trailer on the, the A-frame behind the, the propane tanks. There's the hitch at the very front. There's the jack right behind it and the propane tanks behind that. This thing lets us mount the bikes basically up above in the air over the propane tanks and over the battery and stuff. So I'm really excited about that because there's really nowhere else to put bikes other than to put them in inside or put them in the truck bed, which we have a, a lid on our truck bed. Yeah. So and we, we can't don't really do that. We're not willing to give that lid up. No. And we, we need to put a few things in the truck bed as well, but doing this is going to allow us to put the bikes over the hitch. It's going to allow us to put some of that cargo that's in the back of the truck on to the back of the trailer. Yeah, like the poop wagon. Yeah, our, <laughs> our, our sewage tote tank, or if you want to call potatoes, it- Potatoes, potatoes, Jason. Actually, we actually don't put, we try not to no, put we don't. black water into we it. We don't we put black water in it. Just gray water mm-hmm. into it. But that is a big thing, and that can go on the back of the trailer instead of riding with us in the truck all the time. And uh, lots of good things about it. So I'm excited about installing that. Uh, and, and getting that. And we got a great uh, deal for it too. Surprisingly, you know, I think everyone's go-to when they go to buy anything is like, let me go to amazon.com first. Cause usually you think that's where you're going to find it cheaper than if you go to a smaller retailer. And amazingly enough, we found this brand, this product much cheaper, like tens of dollars, like 30, 40, $50 no, cheaper, right? I, I at w- Camping world. I, I, Believe it or not, you know, everybody says know. That everything at Camping I think World everyone, is more expensive. Well, The computer's about to explode because I just said Camping World. It's like a red light's going off. It was actually, uh, I think it was like $30 cheaper. And then I got an additional $25 coupon from Camping World that they have when you sign up on their website. That's the thing I'm finding these days is that a lot of companies are realizing Okay, we've lost this game against Amazon. Yeah. So now what can we do? Well, we just have to compete with them in price. We have to play their game now. So we were trying to get them to play ours. It has failed. We now have to play their game. So if that is always your go-to and you think you're going to get the best price there, we are starting to see that that is not always the case. And some places will price match that. Yeah. If you do find it on Amazon.com, but you want to go to the store and get it that day, they will price match you. And a lot of them are offering the same free shipping. Uh, and then a lot of them, you can go pick up stuff in store, which is convenient. Our reliance on delivered packages, though, is causing some huge problems. And I read something recently. Did you know that 90,000 packages in New York City Per day go missing. That's amazing. That's how much stuff gets replaced That's almost because the packages go missing. A million packages in like 11 days. Yeah. A million packages. If that wants to give you an idea of what New York City, the amount of people that are crushing themselves into New York City, 90,000 packages a day. And also our dependency upon delivery. Uh, I Somebody think, did not get their FabFitFun box well, and they're that, upset about it. That's why you see that Amazon is also starting to put sticks and bricks stores in 
And I think, uh, I think Walmart's really giving them a run for their money because you can order almost everything that you can on Amazon right now. Well, if you think about it in New York, okay. When we lived in Chicago and I would have packages delivered, you know, to get into our apartment complex, we were just a three-story brownstone. You had to be buzzed in. Now, if you're not home or you, you know, don't get to the buzzer or whatever. And a lot of times what would happen is deliveries would just come up to the porch. They drop, they'd buzz and they would go, or I would buzz them in and they would sometimes put into the foyer area. But if you're living in a major metropolitan area and you've got just apartment complexes everywhere, and it's not some fancy high rise where they're accepting packages down at the door, most of those packages are just getting pushed up against that front entrance yeah, and, and, and being left there. Or even if they get into the lobby and you're in a building with, with, you know, 200 apartment right. units, your neighbors might be stealing from I you know. in your building. Right. Well, I was just thinking about that too. Cause the first apartment I lived in, in Chicago was 12 floors and there were probably about 15 to 20, like, no, probably more like 10 apartments, 10 to 15 apartments on each floor. I mean, so that's close to two, you know, 200 buildings, 200 units. I mean, it would be really easy to just pick up a package and go. All right. We've gone, we've gone a long way off the path here. Wow. That was, let's, let's reel it back in. It's just one of those episodes. (laughs) It is. We have a new article on the website uh, about Utah's mighty five. Utah has five of the best national parks in the country all within a fairly close distance to one another, but they are very different. So we put together uh, a, a bit of a uh, RV when this is a new feature on the website, we're going to start doing short little RV trips. And uh, this is just sort of a, a route around five parks and uh, some of the things that you can expect where to camp, what to do, at these five different parks, not super detailed, leaving you a lot of freedom to do whatever you want, but um, it's just sort of some, some ideas and thoughts. Yeah. And I think if you're not familiar with the mighty five and it's perfectly fine if you're not, but Utah does kind of coin these five parks as the Utah, the mighty five. In fact, they've trademarked that saying, and those parks are If you're coming from and for this, for our benefit here, let's just come from the Southwest. Let's just say we've flown into Vegas or we're coming from Vegas and this is the route we want to do going into Utah. So that route is going to take us from Zion National Park to Bryce Canyon National Park to Capitol Reef National Park to Arches National Park and then to Canyonlands National Park. And I'll tell you, some of the best ones uh, are the ones that people don't go to the most like Canyonlands and Capitol Reef. Well, what's interesting is arches and Canyonlands aren't really that far Mm -mm. from each other. They're awful close, but what does end up happening a lot of times. And I think that because arches is so photographed and because delicate arch is so famous that oftentimes if you have to pick between the two, your hope is to go to see delicate arch. Yeah. I'm often leery about, okay, we have to, complete this list of things, right? I I don't feel like I need to check off. Like if I'm going to Utah, do I have to do all five parks? I don't feel the need that I have to. And that's a tough Um, one for me because I tend to be someone who feels like if I don't do it all, I've missed out. But mm -hmm. then I have that other side of me that's like, I don't want to stress myself out trying to do everything. I want to enjoy one thing well, rather than five things kind of okay. And this is, I always try to reel you in on this as well, because you, because you would look at that and say, I want to go to all five parks, but then when we get to a park. This article, I'm the one, and I was like, I got to go to all five of these. Like we have to do this all at once. Like we can't break this up. But then when we get to one of those parks, you want to do every single trail. Yes, of course. (laughs) Because someone hands me a brochure and tells me these are all the things I should do while I'm here. And then I have, I have a challenge in front of me. I have a goal. It's like how you were commenting. Let's just say commenting in air quotes on how competitive I am when we play games. Oh my goodness. I, I have a goal in front of me and the end game at that, you know, is to win that game. Just like when I'm handed a brochure with 12 hikes on it and they're like, these are all amazing hikes. Well, I, I got to do all 12 then. It's like, I've been challenged. 
Well, if you're looking for a national park adventure this summer, and a lot of people are always planning on going to Yellowstone, the Fishing Bridge Campground, the big RV park at Yellowstone, is closed again this year. Yep. Uh, it will reopen next year. So Yellowstone isn't necessarily the best option for everybody unless you can get a site outside of the park. And I think this is a, a good year to consider doing the Utah parks this summer. Absolutely. Now, I will say that in this article, I sort of advocated for visiting the parks in the late spring, early fall. We have been into Utah around that time of year and absolutely loved the parks and loved the state itself that time of year. Absolutely. You know, one of those things, if summer is your only time to travel, absolutely consider Utah. If you have some space, you're going to have a few less people in the parks and you're going to have some weather that's maybe a little bit more enjoyable for hiking and for spending long days outside. One thing to consider and really the big reason why we're talking about the Utah Mighty Five today is that when you get into a trip like this, if you start at Zion, you're going to have this beautiful Watchman's campground that you can stay at that's going to offer you partial hookups. And then there's going to be some bathrooms with flush toilets. It's going to be right butted up against the visitor center and the walk-in entrance to Springdale. It's a destination, right? There's a lot going on there. As you continue to move through the Mighty Five, those kind of accommodations are going to disappear. Yes. So you really do need to set your rig up for boondocking in ways that you stay comfortable because that's essentially what you're going to do once you leave Zion. Yeah. You could make little day trips from a campground um, somewhere, but, uh, but most even, of these parks don't have like a big campground. You know, a lot of national parks have a big private campground right mm -hmm. outside them or several. And most of these except Zion do not. Yeah. And that's the thing too. So you might be saying, well, I'll just stay at a private camp campground. I don't have to stay in a, federal campground and you absolutely can, you're going to have some distance for the most part between you and most of these upcoming parks. So I think this is one of the reasons why this mighty five or these trips aren't often done a lot because it starts to get pretty remote mm -hmm. and you're going to run into instances where you're not going to have cell service. You don't really have very good cell service in Zion either, but you're going to have pretty much non-existent. These are also not parks that you really just uh, drive through and get a ton of. For instance, Arches National Park. You can't really just drive through it and go see a bunch of arches. You have, no. you have to hike. And if, if you want to go to Delicate Arch, it's a three mile trail. And it's, I believe, rated moderate to strenuous yes. trail too. It's not an easy trail to get to, but let's back up a little bit. So let's say you have done some time at Zion. You have enjoyed the park. You've enjoyed the Watchman Campground. You're ready to move on. So only about 75 miles from Zion is Bryce Canyon. And so we know a lot of people who often put those two together. Yes. And that's very, very easy to do. Now, the camping there, if we're just and for this sake of this discussion, we're just going to stick with federal and state. I think you guys know at this point that those are our preferred campgrounds. We just really love staying. We no no shade to the private campground industry, but we just really love our state and federal campgrounds. If you go over to Bryce, you're going to have a first come first served campground. And then you're going to have one, which is um, the North Campground is first come, first serve. Sunset Campground, you can make reservations at. And the nice thing about Bryce, similar to Zion, is that they do offer a park shuttle for the busy season. So you can stay there in the campground and then have access to the shuttle. And there, it eliminates the amount of driving you have to do through the park. There are no hookups at either campground. And there is a $5 fee for using the dump station. But again, if you're just going for a couple days, and some people can boondock for weeks. I mean, you know, it just depends on your setup, right? Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of people do go to like Zion and spend like a week and then do one night or two nights at these other parks quickly so that they can, their boondocking time allows them to get back to a campground with more services where they can dump and all that sort of stuff. Right. And so if you do that and you're at Bryce and then you want to continue on, 
again, only 120 miles from Bryce's Capitol Reef National Park. And so Capitol Reef is also an international dark skies park. Yeah, which we love. Because we the, love. The nights, and really the night skies at all of these parks in, in Utah are stunning. But again, you're going to have a campground option there in the park. It's going to be no hookups. However, they do have access to a dump station and fresh water nearby. And there are also bathrooms with flush toilets, no showers, but flush toilets. So this is a park that can kind of help you extend your stay a little bit because you have access to a dump station and to fresh water should you need it while you're there. Plus, you have the bathroom with the flush toilets again to kind of help offset um, yeah, I don't think, you know, a lot of people take showers at the campground if there are no sewage hookups to mm-hmm. save on filling up that gray tank. I don't think any of the campgrounds in any of the big five have showers. No, none of them do. And in fact, I can't remember if it's going to be Arches or Canyonlands, um, but one of those doesn't even have a dump station. So you're going to be Arches. Left. Arches yeah. doesn't have. Yeah. So. From there, if you want, you're going to travel another 130 miles from Capitol Reef and you're going to run into Arches. And there you are. I mean, that's what, like a Mm -hmm. two and a half, three hour drive. And their campground is probably what I consider the most remote of all in regards to any sort of type of amenities. Like there is no dump station there. They do have drinking water and flush toilets. And they absolutely say you've got to make reservations during the busy season. Do not show up there. And think you're going to get in. And that's a really good rule of thumb for most federal campgrounds, especially if they're located inside a national park during the busy season. Unless it says first come, first served. Don't just show up there thinking you're going to get a campground. You're going to end up sleeping on the side of a road. Yeah. (laughs) Like like we've done. (laughs) Look, we've been there, done that. We did it for you so that you know not to do it. Now, the final park is Canyonlands. And Canyonlands I am. I, this is one park we haven't been to. And after doing this, um, I'm so in for Canyonlands. And it's huge. And I, that's part of why we haven't done it. It's like just making decisions where to go and what to do is, right. is, is challenging. Canyonlands is divided up into four different districts. Okay. The park itself is almost 340,000 acres and they have it divided up into four districts. Thanks to the way the Colorado river and its tributaries kind of cut the land. Right. So what they say is though they appear close on a map, there are no roads that directly link the four districts traveling between them requires two to six hours by car as there are a few places to cross the rivers. Most people find it difficult to visit more than one area in a single trip. Something to consider when you look at Canyonlands. You're just not going to be able to do it all. So those are the the big mighty five parks in Utah. Now, Utah is full of all kinds of other stuff to do. Other National Park Service sites like Dinosaur National Monument, which ought to be a national park. It's amazing. Natural Bridges National Monument, uh, Golden Spike National Historic Park. And then there's all the state parks. You could... There's Salt Lake, there's Salt Lake City, there's Park City. You could spend a summer exploring Utah and and not see anywhere near at all. No, it's really quite impressive the number of National Park Service units inside the state of Utah and the opportunities, even as you're traveling from one Mighty Five to the next, to be able to kind of go off-road a little bit and explore another area. It's fascinating. Utah, the more I learn about Utah and the more time we spend in Utah, I find the state to just be absolutely enchanting. So check out that article on our website. I'll link to it in the show notes. I also get, I get a lot of questions about that Zion tunnel and the restrictions for RVs to go through Mm -hmm. that Zion tunnel and uh, how you get around it and all that sort of stuff. So we put that all in the article as well, if you want to take a gander at that. So check that out over on the website. Okay. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll have the answer to last week's brain teaser and some more. RV Miles is brought to you by Victorinox. You know the brand Victorinox Swiss Army. They make the iconic red Swiss Army knife. But did you know that they also make best-in-class kitchen knives, luggage, fragrance, and Swiss-made watches? Founded in Switzerland in 1884 and still owned and operated by the family who invented the Swiss Army knife over 130 years ago. 
the classic red Swiss army knife is still as functional as it was then. But now you can browse hundreds of styles from the rescue tool designed with first responders to get out of a vehicle safely to the wine master designed specifically to open a bottle of wine, travel gear ranging from suitcases to backpacks for a quick weekend getaway or a week-long trip. Victorinox makes such a wide range of trusted products. Find the perfect companion for your next adventure. Visit Victorinox.com and save 15% using code RV15. That's Victorinox.com and code RV15 to save 15% now through December 31st. Some exclusions apply. RV Miles is sponsored by Harvest Hosts. Have you been considering a Harvest Host membership? With 2020 in full swing, now is the perfect time to become a Harvest Hosts member and start enjoying access to a network of over 900 wineries, farms, breweries, yam, museums, and other unique attractions that invite RVers to visit and stay overnight. To save 15% on your Harvest Hosts membership, head over to rvmiles.com slash harvesthosts. That's 15% off a Harvest Hosts membership for RV Miles listeners over at rvmiles.com slash harvest hosts. It's time for the answer to last week's brain teaser, which went like this. You're given $100 and told to spend it all purchasing exactly 100 animals at the pet store. Dogs cost $15, cats cost a buck, and mice are 25 cents each. You're going to have a lot of pets. It's a lot of pets. You have to purchase at least one of each animal. How many of each animal do you have to purchase to equal 100 animals purchased at exactly $100? And the answer is, and the only way to really get this is a little trial and error, I think. The answer is three dogs, 41 cats, and 56 mice. That is 41 cats too many and 500 mice too many. (laughs) Those are two of my, no, no offense to cat lovers out there. Those are just two of my very least favorite animals. Well, you won't have to buy cat food for a while. This is true. This is is very, very true. Our winner this week is Chrissy R. from Oregon, who will receive a Keep Logging Those RV Miles t-shirt. And you'll have a chance to win yours with the new brain teaser later on in the show. Okay, I wanted to follow up on our conversation last week about interstates and some of the sort of secret or unknown things about interstates. This is something that I that has really interested me for a long time. And I sort of have some of the details here now. I've always wondered what the parameters are for restaurants to be included on those big blue exit signs. I'll tell you what the parameters are. We don't even need to have this conversation. Your name needs to either be McDonald's, Starbucks, And then everybody else has to fight it out. Well, that's the question I have. So why I've always wondered why Starbucks is on there because Starbucks, you know, isn't really a restaurant. They have a few little food items because they're Starbucks, Jason. Like there's no, I don't understand why you even need to ask that question. They're Starbucks. Like people see that on there. Like, Ooh, Ooh, Bob, get off right now. It's a Starbucks. I need a coffee. So the Jalopnik website, they have this, it's a great, car website and they have lots of fun articles in this. And one of them is sort of explains how this works. Now, all 50 states operate differently uh, when they have, when it comes to rules for how you get on these things, but most of them contract out to a single company that is in charge of, of selling these, their sponsorships, essentially selling these and, and putting them up there. And uh, and they have certain rules. And this company called Interstate Logos operates in 23 different states. So these are all the requirements for Michigan, but apparently they're the same for all these 23 states. Uh, There are different categories. You got gas, food, lodging, camping and pharmacy. Gas stations have to be within six miles of the exit. They have to be in continuous operation for at least 16 hours a day, seven days a week, 360 days a year. They have to have restroom facilities and they have to have an emergency telephone available to the public during 
hours of operation. Okay. Clearly restroom facilities has a very broad meaning. Okay. Cause we've pulled off in some of these gas stations that we needed a bathroom and we were like, um, yeah. mm-hmm. we're just going to yeah. keep going. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> why some of them aren't so terrible. It's like, we just have a bathroom so we can still be on the side. Right. You're going to need to go out to that outhouse out there in the empty lot. Food generally has to also be within six miles and has to be in continuous operation, serving at least 12 hours per day, six days a week. I take issue with the six mile because there is nothing worse than getting off for food and you are getting off of an exit and you're traveling because you're hoping to get something close to your exit and then going on. And then it being like this location is 4.5 miles down the road. Yeah. Now, well, normally it's no more than like one or two, right? But still, but it still bit us a couple of times. We've been like, okay, well, I guess we're going to that because it'll take just as much time for us to get back on and look for somewhere else. Restaurants also have to have a minimum seating capacity of 24 people. They also have to have restroom facilities and they have to have an outside entrance that's directly accessing the restaurant that's readily visible. So it can't be like in a mall without an outside entrance, that sort of thing. They also have to have the emergency telephone. And then camping, campgrounds have to be within 15 miles of the exit. They have to be in continuous operation for at least six months of the year. And the signs must be removed or covered when the business is closed, which I can tell you does not always happen. No. No, uh, they, they must have trailer camper or tent camping with 25 or more campsites available for overnight use. They must have electric service. They must have sanitary service, meaning, you know, a dump station. They must have drinking water, showers and flush toilets and the emergency telephone in order to be on that sign. That's why it's almost always a KOA. On that yes, sign. exactly. So uh, I'll link to this article as well in the show notes and you can see the requirements for lodging and pharmacies as well. If you're, you know, interested in that attractions too, they've got listed as well. It's, it goes into a heck of a lot of detail showing exactly where the signs go in which order, how many feet from the exit they are. Well, they have to have some kind of, rules. Otherwise people just can be willy nilly throwing signs out there all the time. Yeah. Yeah. The cost ranges between $500 and a couple thousand dollars for these businesses every year in order to be up on there. Actually, that's not a bad deal. Not not terrible. Now we know why Waffle House can afford it. That's in addition to paying for the sign to be built as well. So it's still worth it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're going to move directly into our fresh tank, black tank segment. We're changing up things a little bit this week. Yeah, Jason's palms are getting sweaty because we're doing (laughs) things different on the podcast. He can't handle it. It's fine because we're going to do a a preview of the See America podcast for those who haven't heard it at the end of the show. So for those who have heard it, they'll get to skip it. Or they can listen again. Don't tell them to skip it. We want you to listen again. We're very proud of our third little podcast baby. But uh, let's go right into our fresh tank, black tank segment where we talk about all the good and the bad in the, the world. Stinky. You have to say the good, the bad and the stinky. Like you've kind of established okay. that now is how okay. you introduce this. <laughs> <laughs> Tumbleweeds. Uh, Abby, what is your black tank for this week? OK, so my black tank this week and this has been going across all these national park Facebook groups this week is just some crazy hate for gateway arch national park. I keep seeing these questions are, why is this a park? Why would anyone go here? Why do we care about this place? And it's sort of like this idea that now that it's called a national park, capital N capital P that we have these expectations And I'm not quite sure why all of a sudden we have expectations just because something's been designated a national park, or we believe that national parks can only be these big swaths of land that have to be like the little brother or sister to Yellowstone. Yeah. I, I, I do not care about the naming. Oh, I don't care either. I I, feel like they should just call them all national parks and be done with it. Yeah. As much as, you know, when I was writing that mighty five article, um, I got to the end of it and I thought, 
I can't be done with this here. Like Utah is so much more than just these mighty five. And so that's why I have this honorable mention down at the bottom, because there are so many other National Park Service units inside Utah that are just as grand and just as spectacular as these mighty five. And they don't need to be grand or spectacular either if well, they're not. But th- that's, th- a, that's OK. That's a relative not, like- yeah, I yeah. think everyone looks at that differently. I can go to Alexander Hamilton's home and still find it to be grand and spectacular because of what it means. I can go to Harry Truman's home and feel yeah. that same sense of awe and wonder that I feel standing out in Yellowstone to some respect because of why that area is being protected. It's not well, that's, what it that's is. That's the thing. It's the protection. Like right. These areas are not protected for your joy and wonder. Well, they're not protected so that you can go hike and then share your photos about how you did these amazing hikes. That's the benefit of them being protected. They're protected because they are special to this country. They are the quilt that makes us who we are. And so that they last. Exactly. I mean, and so, you know, I think we can debate, you know, the naming of national parks until we're blue in the face. You know, frankly, I wish we would get rid of the naming. I also understand it, but I don't think that Gateway Arch National Park is any less than Yosemite or any less than Badlands or any less than Yellowstone. Yeah. I mean, would I rather go to Yosemite over Gateway Arch National Park for a week? I mean, I'm not going to spend a week in in, in in that few acre national park, of course, but so I say, yes, I also say no, because, you know, Gateway Arch is, is inside St. Louis and St. Louis is a wonderful destination to come and visit. It's one of our favorite places to go. And this is another thing we talk about. We love when we get to discover national park units inside urban oasis, like Those are thrilling to us because it marries two things that we really love. And that's the urban environment and the national park environment. And so I wouldn't be able to choose like I I would go to Yellowstone for a week for something very different than I would go to Gateway and St. Louis for a week. I I think it, it does us all a harm when we sit in these groups that are aimed towards celebrating, supporting and educating ourselves about our National Park Service when we sit in there and we bash a particular site. Yeah. All right. What is your fresh tank? It's real simple. National pizza week is here. (laughs) That's my fresh tank. It's an excuse to order one extra pizza this week. And we're in the quad city. So we got fantastic quad city style pizza. We did. We get to enjoy some TCs this week. Although Jack, if he had it his way, would just have us going to pizza hut. (laughs) I'm just... Sometimes I wonder. Maybe we'll do that for him. Right. So if you're thinking, huh, what? I thought we already did this. National Pizza Month is in November. National Pizza Week starts tomorrow. There's probably a National Pizza Day as well. Or actually, it started today. Today's the 12th. It started today. Yes, we're recording on the 12th. Yes. Did did you know that Pizza Huts are removing the sit-down portion of their restaurants? I'm fine with that. You will no longer be able to sit down in a pizza hut. I think I can count on at, one at hand the number of times I've actually eaten inside of a pizza hut. And even still, it's maybe two or three. But that's the thing is that we never get pizza hut delivery. If we are having pizza hut, we sit down in one. Oh, well, I think Which we've only done that it's once. Rare. Yeah, we've only done it once since we've been on the road that we've actually eaten inside of a pizza hut. We have gone and picked it up, though. That's true. That's you know, true. I guess I, we have. Yeah, yeah. And I will say that we've. It's weird sometimes when you're in suburban locations to have like in Belton and my parents' house, it's, it's weird to think about having pizza hut delivered to their house for some reason. I, I, I don't know why. Well, no, cause there's Casey's and everybody <laughs> knows if you're from the Midwest that among like the chain brands, Casey's is it Casey's pizza gas. Sta- yes. Gas station pizza. Don't. Yeah. And don't add me at this. Like go get yourself <laughs> some Casey's gas station pizza of and the then, chain restaurant. And then at me. Not, yes. not of like, you know, the quality, yeah. ones, but of, of the chain. Restaurant. Like if I was right. choosing between pizza hut, Papa John's yeah. Domino's or Casey's, yeah, I go you, Casey's, Casey's every single time. time. Absolutely. All right, Jay, what's your black tank this week? Okay. In the RV miles Facebook group, uh, there's a discussion going on about internet and about watching TV and, and all that sort of stuff. And one of the options for watching TV uh, when you're out on the road is YouTube TV and YouTube. If you're not aware, it's not just watching YouTube. 
YouTube TV is an actual service. Although that's what Henry calls it. (laughs) It's just watching YouTube. They have a service that you pay for that you get, you know, the, the cable channels and the local stations. It's like buying. It's like a sling or having dish or anything like that. It's like buying cable that you just watch on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is that is an option for people that are looking for regular TV service when they're out on the road. However, one of our group members, Brian, uh, has some interesting information about YouTube TV. If you are a full timer uh, or you travel heavily and you are looking to use YouTube TV as your primary TV streaming service, they have a rule that you need to log into YouTube TV from your home area, your home zip code at least once every three months and that you can only change your home area two times a year. If you use up your changes and can't log in your current home area, wherever you're based at that moment, you won't be able to watch anything. And, and um, Brian had hit that point and he was told by user support rep that his only option was to cancel the service and resubscribe. So that's, that's, you know, a lot, there's a lot of contracts that go into all these different uh, streaming services. And, uh, and a lot of it is based on affiliate TV stations in local areas and the way that they're able to continue to keep the advertising revenue. So uh, that is what sort of feeds into this. And, uh, so I thought that was interesting for anybody that might be looking to that as an option. Yeah. And I have to say, this is a prime example of why I really like using dish network Yeah, because they this is not an issue. You can pay per month while you're out on the road if you're not a full timer, but they actually really encourage full timers and are interested in working with full timers and aren't going to have this kind of BS where it's like, oh, you haven't logged in from your home zip code in three months. What does I mean, honestly, I get you know part of what you're saying, but what do they care? I know. Why don't you just want me to use your service? I know. Like, they, it makes no sense they, to me, the stigma. Yeah. To me, it I is. Just, but I, again, I think it has to, a lot to do with that, those local TV stations and them keeping their ad revenue. And it's their, fair it's enough, their way but I'll of say, giving up their, their programming for it. Okay. That's why you can watch your local news wherever you are on YouTube TV to, to do that. Well, and that's what I was going to say is that's one of the things with Dish is that you can set your local... Like I'm from Chicago. I want the Chicago station. So I'm out on the road. Your local and that's, station. Yeah. That stays your local. Yes. Yeah. So you don't have to log in from that area. Three right. Times a year, two times a year. And I like that. I like knowing what's going on with my, you know, hometown. Yeah. Okay. That's my, uh, that's my black tank. My fresh tank this week is something really fun that I have come across recently. And I also, I posted one of these in the, in the RV miles Facebook group as well. There's a Facebook page called terrible maps. And I absolutely love it. This is so up your alley too. (laughs) Well, the one I shared, the first one I shared, uh, the one I shared into the group was that Iowa, the state of Iowa has 99 counties. Like Iowa, you had one job. And they're, and they're almost in like a perfect grid of counties. There are 99 of them, except there is one that is double the size of the others. And the map is like... Iowa, I you could have had a hundred counties, it, but you had to have this weird one that's double the size. Looking at that Iowa County map reminds me and makes me feel like when I'm at the gas station and you've got like one choice, do I stop because I've got the perfect even number of gallons or do I stop it when I get the perfect even number of money spent? You can only have one or the other. Is it going to be like 14.9999 gallons or am I going to just go ahead and stop because it says $35? Like That's how I feel. And that's a real tough one for me. That's how I feel when I look at that Iowa map. I don't like it. it there's, there's one that's <laughs> classific, classification of young American females, according to Brian Wilson. So I mean, this is the, the song California <laughs> yeah. Girls from the Beach Boys. And That's they have amazing. the map of the U.S. And <laughs> the blue states are the south and they're knock me out. Uh, the, the yellow states, the Midwest, make you feel all right. And it, it maps it out where the, 
where that's amazing where the boy where the girls that keep their boyfriends you know warm what? at night are <laughs> when i saw it because you're looking at it on your laptop and i'm kind of uh, removed from you when i first saw it i was trying to look over your shoulder i thought it said american females according to brian williams <laughs> and i was like what's brian williams been yeah. up to but the again? best the best part is that California is red. It's the only state that's that's red in the in the map key. Red is best. <laughs> and then and then Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas are all white. And white in the key says no data. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. It's that kind of stuff that you get. And then then now, absolutely terrible maps as well. So now I know why you've been giggling a lot over there when you're when you're working. You're on terrible maps. It's amazing. Okay. All right. So that's our fresh tank, black tank for the week. When we come back, we're going to have the new brain teaser and a preview of See America. RV Miles is sponsored by the world's largest nonprofit RV club, FMCA. And FMCA isn't just for motorhomes anymore. Trailers can join as well, like us. FNCA membership is just $85 for your first year and $75 upon renewal. But with the code RVMILES19, you can save $10 instantly and join for $75 for your first year. And FMCA is full of all kinds of benefits. They have their rallies uh, and conventions. We're going to be at the Tucson convention in the coming up at the end of March and giving a few seminars and uh, they will have, have a little table where we can all hang out and chat. And we're really looking forward to getting to meet some people. We're looking forward to finishing an FMCA convention. <laughs> yes. Mr. Epperson, uh, no. I, I will try not to get a, a, a brain infection. Yeah. No, no cardia at Tucson, please. They also have a magazine. Uh, they have access to uh, roadside assistance program, all kinds of benefits. But one that we want to talk about this week is their tire benefit. And can I say one thing before we jump into tires? Because it's a really important benefit. Um, but their magazine is perfectly designed for people who like to read back to front. Yes, like me. Like you and like several other people who have recently yeah, reached out to us. You didn't know that that's a wow, thing. Wow, hey, is. you guys. Like, I'm I not abnormal. <laughs> <laughs> well, not in that respect. I mean, but I was amazed. And hey, you all enjoy those magazines, however you like them. I'm glad to know that front to back, back to front, we can all get along. <laughs> FMCA's tire savings program is one of their most popular member benefits. You can literally save hundreds per tire, depending on the tires you buy. You can get Michelin, Continental, and hand-cooked tires for passenger vehicles, light trucks, and RVs. Visit fmca.com to get tire quotes and lists of participating tire dealers. So you can actually go to just the regular tire dealers and you give them your FMCA discount and you get it right there. You can get it installed by your normal Michelin, Continental, or hand-cooked. Dealer. And that's anywhere across the country. It doesn't just have to be in your home exactly. base. So head over to fmca.com to join today and make sure to use the code RVMILES20. That's going to be all one word, RVMILES20, to save $10 on your first year membership with FMCA. That's fmca.com with the promo code RVMILES20 at checkout. You can also call them at 800-543-3622. All right, we are back and it is time for the new brain teaser. This one I'm very happy about because it is RV and driving related. Ooh, and it's in New Mexico, I'm seeing. We love the state of New Mexico. So driving from Artesia, New Mexico, it's in the on the eastern side of New Mexico. Driving from Artesia, New Mexico to Alamogordo, New Mexico, which is where White Sands National Park is. And we love it there. It's a 110 mile trip over the Sacramento Mountains. Leaving from Artesia, the first 90 miles to the mountain town of Cloudcroft are a long, slow incline from 3,400 feet up to 8,700 feet. Then the last 20 miles are a steep white knuckle descent back down to 4,000 feet. It's not really a recommended route for bigger RVs, but here's the question. 
Would you get better fuel mileage taking this route as described from east to west? Or would you get better fuel mileage on the reversed route from west to east, Almogordo up the steep incline to Cloudcroft and back down to Artesia down the long and slow descent? If you think you know the answer, head over to rvmiles.com slash brain teaser. You can enter it there or you can go to the show notes at rvmiles.com slash 127 and enter it in the bottom of the show notes page as well. Make sure you get that answer in by Friday of the week that the episode comes out. There we go. Are you ready to do this? All right. We, uh, so that's sort of the, the end of the main part of this episode. And now we're going to play for you. Uh, an episode of our new See America podcast because we're super proud of it. We think it really is something that a lot of RVers might be interested in, in listening to. Most of the episodes are about 15 minutes long and we go to all kinds of crazy destinations and, and talk to you about them. We do. And we're often inspired by you, the traveler, what you share both um, across different group platforms, but what you share in the RV Miles group, what we talk to you guys about traveling, what we've been inspired upon by our travels. We're also inspired by our friends over at Road Trippers and what they're writing about. And if you don't know, they are a full sponsor of the Sea America podcast. We love working with them. They're great people. This podcast for us, as many of you know, has been a real labor of love. We put it out just three weeks after maybe a month after Jason had gone through emergency brain surgery. It was really cathartic for us, I think, to have that to focus on. Uh, We are in our second season. We're doing seasons, which I got to tell you, something I wish we had (laughs) kind of done with our other podcast because it gives us a little bit of a break to be creative and kind of plan for our upcoming seasons. Before we get into that, though, we just want to kind of remind everybody, if you're enjoying either Sea America or RV Miles, we would love to hear from you over on the Apple Podcast app. We'd love a five-star review. It just kind of helps get us in front of other people. And of course, because you're not really going to hear us after Sea America is over. If you have any questions about this episode or anything you'd like to hear us talk about, please send us an email over at editor at rvmiles.com or you can find us all across social media, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, in the RV Miles Facebook, in the Sea America Facebook. Heck, you can find us over in the America's National Parks Facebook group too. Uh, I think it's probably appropriate since we're not going to really be coming back to also say until next week, keep logging those RV miles and enjoy Sea America. Bye everybody. In the heart of America sits one of the wildest museums in the world. In fact, I'm not even sure museum is the proper term for it. Housed in a 10-story former shoe factory, this sprawling 600,000 square foot urban playground stirs the imaginations of children and adults alike. I'm Jason Epperson, and this is the See America podcast. From coast to coast, we see America one mile at a time. Discovering stops along the way that are eclectic, historic, ridiculous, breathtaking, inspiring, and humbling. This week, the heart of America's entertainingly unique city museum. This great destination is brought to you by Road Trippers, America's number one road trip planning app. Road Trippers helps people discover the world around them in an entirely new way by streamlining discovery, planning, booking, and navigation. Plan your unique journey at roadtrippers.com, then use the app as your ultimate travel guide and navigator. Adventure doesn't come from the fastest route. Start exploring at roadtrippers.com. St. Louis, Missouri, Gateway to the West home of the 1904 World's Fair, the first American city to host the Olympics, home to the first kindergarten, the first interstate highway, the largest beer-producing plant in the nation, let's not call it a brewery, the tallest human-built monument in the country. It's the home of weird food traditions like toasted ravioli, gooey butter cake, and Provel cheese pizza, which is probably the only pizza I've ever tried that I didn't like. 7-Up was invented here and the ice cream cone. But among all those first, St. Louis used to hold one title, 
long before nearly the entire clothing industry left America's borders. Shoe manufacturer to the world. 48 million pairs of shoes were shipped out of St. Louis in 1905. Back in the 1820s, a dozen or so cord waners, artisans who crafted boots and shoes by hand at their shops, peppered Main Street. As the city grew to become a major shipping hub along the Mississippi, more shoemakers and cobblers opened up, and by 1860, a shoe factory employing 300 people opened on the corner of Main and Vine. With the railroads came cheap immigrant and child labor, and a heck of a lot more shoe manufacturers. Some were homegrown, while others moved operations from places like Memphis and Boston. By 1905, St. Louis was producing one-sixth of all the shoes made in the United States at more than 20 different companies, located mostly within the Washington Avenue Garment District. The weaker companies began to be bought out or merged, and one such conglomerate was 1911's International Shoe Company, which by the time it bought out enough of its competitors became the largest shoe manufacturer in the world. The growth of the St. Louis shoe industry was aided by World Wars I and II, when companies received contracts to make boots and shoes for the Army and Navy. But in the 60s and 70s, production decreased and factories closed as Americans began to buy cheaper shoes made overseas. The International Shoe Company began to diversify, buying out retailers and manufacturers of other kinds of goods, primarily furniture. It changed its name to Interco, and then Furniture Brands International, owning brands like Broyhill and Thomasville. In 2013, Furniture Brands filed for bankruptcy and announced plans to sell most of its divisions. St. Louis is one of my favorite cities. With its host of family-friendly activities, it's been a quick getaway destination for my family since I was a kid. It was also one of the first places I took my own family on vacation lighting the road trip spark that still continues today. In my Chicago theater producer days, I even took a touring production of a holiday show to St. Louis. I enjoy this city so much. And it was actually during that visit that I happened upon one of the wildest attractions in America, which resides in the 10-story former home of the International Shoe Company, right downtown in what's now called the Washington Avenue Loft District. It's called the City Museum, and it's full of wild and fancy exhibits, play structures, and curiosities, mostly made from reclaimed architecture and industrial materials. It's a maze of miles of tunnels and slides and rebar towers that lead to exhibits like a life-size bowhead whale, a giant slinky, which is actually an old refrigerating coil donated by Anheuser-Busch, the largest continuous mosaic in the U.S. There's a 1924 Wurlitzer pipe organ, an indoor skate park, an indoor circus, a collection of vintage video and pinball games. There's the world's largest pencil at more than 76 feet in length and 21,500 pounds. It's the equivalent of 1.9 million regular number two pencils. It includes 4,000 pounds of graphite and a 250 pound rubber eraser. Most of the indoor museum resides on the first through third floors, but there's a 10-story slide that utilizes the whole building and a heck of a lot to do outdoors. Up on the roof is a small old-fashioned Ferris wheel, a pond, and a school bus that extends beyond the edge of the building. Nearer to the ground level, but not too near it, two aircraft fuselages are suspended high in the air for the daring to climb up into. There's a fire engine, a castle turret, and two ball pits filled with large rubber dodgeballs. With the history of the City Museum and its creator, here's Abigail Trebu. Artist Bob Cassily was born in Webster Groves, Missouri to a homemaker and a building contractor. He began skipping school at age 14 to work as an apprentice for a local sculptor. He earned a bachelor's degree in art from Fontbonne University in St. Louis, where he met and married his first wife, Cecilia Davidson. 
In May 1972, the couple honeymooned in Rome and were visiting St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City when one of the biggest destructive actions towards a famous piece of art was, by chance, taking place. Laszlo Toth wielding a geologist's hammer and shouting, I am Jesus Christ risen from the dead, struck Michelangelo's Pieta statue 15 times removing Mary's arm at the elbow, knocking off a chunk of her nose and chipping one of her eyelids. Bob Cassily was the first to act. He struck Toth several times before pulling him away from the Pieta. Cassily and Davidson returned to St. Louis where they restored over 36 dilapidated Victorian buildings and built six new townhouses for which Cassily designed the architectural embellishments. He began to make sculptures professionally, becoming known for his public pieces that depict animals such as turtles and hippos. Eventually, the couple moved to Hawaii, where Cassily carved wooden figures until he grew tired of the island life and returned to his native St. Louis to earn a master's degree in art at his alma mater. There, he met sculptor Gail Saliwata, whom he married after divorcing Davidson. In 1993, Bob and Gail Cassily purchased the mostly vacant International Shoe Factory building at 69 cents a square foot. It would be transformed into what the Cassilys called a city within a city. Working with a team of sculptors, welders, and painters dubbed the Cassily Crew, work began immediately but exactly what was being built was a secret. Only a 500-foot concrete and wrought iron serpent fence constructed around the warehouse's parking lot gave the world any indication of what was to come. Inside, the Castle crew's work would stay hidden for almost two years. It wasn't until New Year's Eve 1996 that a group of visitors were allowed into the museum to see the work in progress. From there, construction continued and City Museum officially opened to the public on October 25, 1997, with Bob and Gail's children welcoming several thousand very curious visitors. Inside the museum, they were greeted with two floors of exhibits, including the iconic giant whale sculpture that swallows an accessibility ramp between the lobby and first floor, the Circus Harmony, an internationally celebrated social circus featuring acrobats, jugglers, clowns, and magicians that delight visitors with regular performances. And one of the most popular attractions at City Museum, the world's largest underwear, located under a glowing sign that reads Simper Ubi Sub Ubi, artist Bill Christman hung a giant pair of men's briefs a decision he has never revealed the motive behind. The display has attracted visitors from around the world, has a Canadian fan club, and is the fourth most photographed installation at City Museum. As the museum's popularity grew, so did the exhibits. Always intended to have deep urban roots, Cassily and his loyal crew of artisans continued to construct the museum from the very stuff that makes a city. Concrete, iron, limestone, bricks, rebar, tile, stone, gears, beams, wheels, belts, valves, tanks, bridges, buses, planes, facades, cranes, doors, fire trucks, walls, and locomotives. City Museum is filled with remnants of houses, churches, schools, storefronts, and factories reclaimed from St. Louis and given new life. Cassily, who died in 2011, envisioned City Museum as a place to collect the artistic creations of his imagination. Creations that were often labeled childlike, as a nonprofit, the museum struggled for years before Cassily managed to turn it into a thriving for-profit institution. At his memorial, Mayor Francis Sly said, 
City Museum could easily have failed a thousand times in less creative and timider hands. But under Bob's quirky leadership and with his refusal to give up, many dedicated artists came together to create something that worked in a wonderful and inimitable way. The City Museum has been credited for revitalizing a once desolate area of St. Louis. And today, nearly a million people come to climb on and play in the various exhibits in the museum each year. City Museum is not finished and never will be. They're always building and none of the construction is ever behind closed doors. You can see the work and installation in progress. You'll find something different every time you go. Dress for an active day. Most visitors stay about three hours, but many stay all day. Some areas are seasonal or weather dependent. There are no maps of City Museum. It's one big exploration, and it's open at least five days a week, often closed on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays in the slow season. This episode of See America was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, with narration by Abigail Trebu. If you like the show, we'd love a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'd also like to invite you to follow the See America podcast on Instagram and Facebook and join the See America Facebook group, where we chat about some of America's greatest road trip destinations. This great destination was brought to you by Road Trippers, America's number one road trip planning app. Plan your unique journey at roadtrippers.com, then use the app as your ultimate travel guide and navigator. Adventure doesn't come from the fastest route. Start exploring at roadtrippers.com. Thanks for listening to our new See America podcast. Make sure to go subscribe to it wherever you're listening to RV Miles. We'd really appreciate it. See you next week, everybody. Keep logging those RV Miles. Miles.